we made this. I dropped a bomb. The whole world is watching for my next move. You're the number one trending topic ahead of tater tots, and the Pope followed you. Uh, wow. Okay, no, this is not the... Is this the real... Uh, right. No, Great. I don't Thanks, think this Greg. is a Pope. My family have disappeared. I need to know where everyone is and what everyone's thinking. There he is, the little man who started this big war. Right now, I'm the real you. Sure, and I'm the real you. You sound deranged. As I understand it, you want to take down your dad without implicating yourself. Correct. And without damaging the company to the extent that you lose control at your shareholder meeting. Do you have an actual case, Ken? Yes, I can kill him. Is he going to watch? Could we make a note in the minutes that he's watching us? There's blood in the water. Sharks are coming. We're going to lose the company. We're going to lose the fucking company no. today. Investigation's looking pretty bad. I'm focused on not going to jail. Logan says we have to take these. Cyanide pills. It's a mint, you doofus. No one's on my side in this. I need you to protect me, Pinky. If we don't beef up soon, I think we end up someone's lunch. When will your father die? Uh, with due respect. No, no, no. Obviously. Yeah, no. Obviously, hugely looking forward to my father dying. Right. Where does this end? This friction. I thought my family was fucked up. This is next level. Roman is a knucklehead. Shiv is a fake. Kenny is screwy. I've seen more than any of them. This life is not for everyone. It's a number on a piece of paper. It's a fight for a knife in the mud. I'm a good guy. I'm better than you. We'll fucking beast them. We'll go full fucking beast Hello and welcome to Scheduled Programming, the official TV podcast for the We Made This podcast network. I'm your host Baz Greenland and Scheduled Programming is a show taking a closer glance at new television examining the good, the bad and the ugly of the small screen. In this episode we'll be talking about season three of HBO drama Succession and joining me to talk Succession is author, writer, co-host of the 250 and regular guest on the X-Cast, and one of my favourite TV reviewers, Darren Mooney. Hello, Darren. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Baz? How's life? I'm good. Yeah, it's been, a, been quite a while since we podcast together. I think we did some of the X-Cast X-Pod ones, which didn't we, way back when... Uh, way back when, the marathon when that was. When yeah. It was, like two, it, was, it was a two and 15 minutes, I think, was to get through the whole season before the relaunch or something, if I remember It was correctly. something like that, yeah. It was, it was, it was quite fun. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've we, we been to kind of podcast together for a while. So, um, and obviously, talking succession, what a podcast to talk yeah. about. It's going to be great. So, um, yeah, I think... Um, I think with each season, Succession seems to be getting more and more critical acclaim. Uh, do you kind of regard it as one of the best shows on TV? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Succession is, for my money, one of the best and most consistent uh, returning shows on television. I was a reasonably early adapter in that I think I jumped on around the fourth episode. In fact, I watched the fourth episode first 
which is the episode where they have, I think, Logan's 80th birthday party. And then I went on to Sky and I end up discovering that was not the first episode <laughs> and end up kind of like trying to disjoint and get the whole thing together with the stroke and figuring out that I'd accidentally watched the first three episodes in the wrong order. Um, but no, I, I, I really, really loved it. Uh, fell in love with it over the course of that first season, like I think a lot of people did. Uh, the big moment, I think, was for the shareholders vote meeting. Um, mm. Was I think in the first season was the point where I really started to fall in love with this and go, this may be a momentous piece of television that we're kind of watching. And I know the internet does love succession. And I know that that is perhaps, again, it's it's an internet's boyfriend kind of TV show, perhaps, where <laughs> it, its cultural impact and its impact in the real world and its number of viewers maybe doesn't correlate to the amount of attention and love that it gets online. Although I am always thrilled to see that its, it's viewing figures are jumping consistently between seasons. I think the third season finale... Uh, Consolidated had the highest ratings the show's ever had, and I think it jumped something like one million over the second season finale as well. So I'm really thrilled that it seems to be finding an audience through word of mouth. But yeah, no, I, I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. And to talk specifically about the third season, I think this is interesting because I think while the sh- third season was on the air, obviously it's still a show that is really, really loved online. Um, I think it's one of the rare TV shows that gets, like, weekly coverage from The Atlantic of all places, which gives you, like, a a perfect sense of how unique this is in the television landscape. But um, there was a little mumbling of a bit of a kind of a... I don't want to use the term backlash, because backlash kind of makes it sound disproportionate, makes it sound bigger than it is, and also dismisses it in some way, shape, or form. But there was a response, I think, from some viewers in the third season that the show had kind of got stuck, or it was spinning its wheels, or it was moving in place. And I think you, I saw that in a number of, like, pre-review... Sorry, pre-airing kind of coverage of the show, which I think had covered the first seven of the nine episodes. Mm. And... Watching the season, I didn't really see that. And I think coming out of the finale, I think that cast everything before it in a whole new light. But I, I absolutely adored the, the third season, which I think we're talking about specifically today. But what about you? Yeah. What, how did you come to it? And kind of what's your impression of it? So I think, like, yeah, I think Succession is definitely one of those shows that every season it gets a bit more kind of buzz around it. And to be honest, season one completely missed me by. I wasn't really aware of it all and given that you know for many many years i was the the tv editor of a website that, that reviewed tv shows I was like how have i missed this show and um i think season two had started and was like three or four episodes in and i thought and i thought oh i started to hear a little bit of buzz with season two and uh i watched the first episode and thought oh this is quite good i really like the, the, the cast is great there's some interesting ideas and then i basically binge watched because it was on it was on Sky Atlantic here in the UK, and it was like, oh, you've got twenty nine days to watch twenty episodes, and for me that's actually quite a lot. I, I tend not to, I tend to do so many other things in my life as well that actually watching twenty episodes of a show that is that, a big hour long dramas, and also my wife was like, the whole whole people she didn't want to watch it, because, <laughs> but that's kind of the point in a way, and so I thought no, I'm going to watch this, and I thought I'm going to see how I get on. And I was like, I've got to watch this, and I was watching like two episodes a day the final four days to watch, finish season two. And I thought this is so so good and i was very very excited for season three so when season three came around i, I knew it was finally coming. it's been quite a way hasn't it? it's been a couple of years i guess uh two years like, yeah they took last year off i think um and obviously the pandemic meant that they shortened the episode count from 10 to 9 and everything like that so yeah no it's been a while yeah well exactly I mean, the pandemic obviously understandably has impacted a lot of tv and it's been quite a wait so i basically came into it just as season two had finished airing 
and watched it all. Like, I want more now. And I had to wait two years. So I actually, um, because I, I binged watched it in the space of a few weeks, I did actually rewatch the first two seasons again over the space of a couple of months. Took a bit more breathing room to kind of watch it and absorb it. And my God, yeah, it's it's just so much, so much great stuff in there, and the performance of the characters. And these are characters that are horrible, horrible characters, but you love to watch them anyway. It it's it's great. I think that's the point. These people aren't nice people. These are horrible people that you know really, really, really know they're they're the people politically, ethically. They're not something you can relate to at all. And uh, it's. But it's fun to kind of watch it unfold and watch kind of the good people like Greg, cousin Greg, who gets caught in the web of it as well. And um, yeah, season three was great. I kind of, a couple of things, board meetings tend to be shareholder meetings. Season one, that episode of the share, shareholder meeting when... Uh, Kendall's stuck in traffic. Kendall, and yes, Logan yes, is Logan is there, which is great. It's like is I he know. going to leave the room? He's not going to leave the room. Exactly. That was so tense. I was like, yeah. oh my god, what is going to happen? I mean, that was the first episode. I thought, wow, I've got to keep watching. Yeah. I've got to keep watching. And season two had a lot of great stuff there, particularly when they were more and more with Shiv in it. And season three had some really great stuff. But I think it was such a great cliffhanger that maybe I think it's why people kind of like, oh, where's it going? Because once you got past the momentum of Kendall betraying Logan and that brilliance in the end where he's on pop on on TV at the press conference and then and kind of Logan gives that kind of slight proud smile. smile yeah I was like where's this gonna go it doesn't necessarily go as you expect and kind of almost wraps up halfway through think oh this is this is different and uh, but then you know the episode when they bring it back and another shareholder meeting was one of my favorites and then those last couple of episodes my that finale the last twenty minutes of the finale of season three was astonishingly good TV, and uh, now I want season four. Um, well, what I will say, actually, in defense of season three, uh, and it ties back into that point you made where these are all, all horrible people, and one of the things I actually really love about Succession, and I do wonder if this is one of the things that's a benefit of it not being a breakout hit like Game of Thrones, is that I think people watching Succession know that all these people are terrible, terrible mm. people, uh, and there is no singular hero of succession, and that even the characters who, as you point out, present themselves politically as nice people. So you have things like Kendall, who is making an argument that his dad is a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, and the company needs to be taken down, and the patriarchy needs to be dismantled. He's just doing that as a way of working through his own issues, mm. and a way of like cementing his own position and trying to progress his own agenda. Shiv, who presents herself as a kind of a, you know, she's a Democrat in the first season. She's working as a campaign advisor to a democratic candidate um but the show is very clear that that's an opportunistic thing for her it's her basically sticking her boot into her father and she will happily betray her principles at the first sign of trouble i mean even in and again one of the like so many standout episodes in this season but the episode where they're like literally picking the next president i think that's what it takes like the sequence where she she is arguing quite correctly against the spoiler outsider bomb throwing candidate uh, and is making very good moral arguments for the idea that you don't want to elect somebody who is pushing the Overton window and trying to throw I think union workers out of it I think is how she mm. describes it <laughs> yeah. um, but she's making that argument precisely because the boring centrist candidate has promised that he will help her oust her father and get her into the position of authority so any authority that she has is completely undermined and again anything that she says about like wanting to change the system she's implicated in all the stuff Logan's done um, she you know you know, in the, at the end of the second season, she convinces a sexual assault victim to 
keep quiet and recant her testimony because it suits her political position to do so and her position within the family to do so. That moment at the second season finale where even like Rhea won't go, the kind of like ruthless CEO played by Holly Hunter, Mm. like won't go to the meeting, like just on like there's a moral line she won't cross. And Shiv, on the other hand, who's always presented herself as kind of righteous, self-righteous and self-important, self-serious, will happily do that if it will get her into her father's good books and get cemented. And I think the show works because, like, it doesn't expect you to treat any of these people as, like, fundamentally good people or heroic people or secretly, deep down, nice people. But I think to, to bring it to the point that you said there about, I think I would speak up in defense of the third season feeling like it is spinning its wheels or feeling like it's retreading old ground or that point you made where you have the bombshell at the end of the second season where Kendall is like oh you know literally going to try and trying to kill his father on television I love that Connor's like you need to stop trying to kill dad <laughs> yes, um, that's his that. big note that's a wonderful line um but like the idea that like you that's that moment is amazing and you're like this might actually kill him this might actually end Logan's reign this might actually bring the whole house of cards coming down And I really like that the third season is very much a too-big-to-fail season, where it becomes quite clear early on that however radical that move was, and however shocking it was, and however stunning it was momentarily to Logan and Waystar and everybody involved, people in power don't face consequences in that way. Like, even Tom doesn't end up going to jail at the Mm -hmm. end of it. It very quickly becomes clear that Logan's not going to face any consequences. There might be the possibility of Tom doing jail time, and that is very quickly brushed aside at all. And by the time you hit, say, the sixth or seventh episodes of the season, which are like the episodes where they're picking the president and Kendall's birthday party, Mm -hmm. it's completely eroded and washed away because these systems don't change we we know from experience that like these people who do terrible things don't actually face that much punishment and you can point to any number of examples of that like things like the you know the cancellation and the me too stuff where people like Mm. were called out and were acknowledged as offenders but outside of extreme cases like harvey weinstein you almost immediately get them reinserting themselves back into public life things like mel gibson reportedly directing the fifth like lethal weapon movie for example all that sort of stuff um you have like things like the the too big to fail stuff after the recession where you're like one person went to prison for all of that because these companies are literally protected and enslaved in the ways that they are and i think one of the things i actually really like about the third season is that it is deliberately structured so that it reminds you of the first season like the rhythms and the beats of it are very very similar like for example the first season opens with logan's 80th birthday party and then the third season has Kendall's 40th birthday party mm. uh, in it as well, kind of mirroring each other. You have the shareholder sequence, which we we mentioned in yeah. the episode from the first season. And as you point out, that's a riveting piece of television because we've not seen it before and it seems new and exciting. And it looks like Kendall like might be within inches of winning and it just goes the wrong way. But then you have the shareholders meeting in the third season where... You have the exact same scenario. (laughs) Kendall is on the phone remotely. Frank is like, oh, he's not well. It's like, that's lies. That's not true. And you have like, Logan has recused himself. And you have, is it Hope Davis looking at the, Sandy looking at the window going, is he just going to stand there and stare at us uh, while we do this vote? Um, And it's, it's, it's literally designed to remind you of that sequence, but there's no tension because you know that like Logan's in no danger whatsoever through this. And even the decision to have the finale 
as a wedding, as a two-part wedding, where you have, like, the, the two final episodes are about a wedding. And again, you have, like, the first season, you know, the first season is Logan's birthday, and the third season is Kendall's birthday. You have the, like, father-son intergeneration thing happening. Mm. You have the inverse happening with the weddings, where the first season wedding is Shiv, and the third season wedding is Shiv's mother. And you have this kind of, again, this huge thing that happens there as well. And I think it I think it's very clever because it's designed to lull you into that idea that like nothing changes for these people. Nothing matters. Nothing's actually going to like upset this little bubble in which they live. And again, we mentioned the COVID stuff. I love the decision to, well, first of all, the decision to set this in a world where COVID apparently never happened. Um, But I also like the implication that these people are so insulated in their bubbles that they could be living through COVID and we would just never know it because it doesn't matter to them. Um, Like that that aspect of the third season, I I genuinely love and I think is a lot cleverer than people have given Mm. it credit for, I would argue. Um, But that's kind of my my, my take on it. Yeah, I mean, I think you say mounted defense. I I think I'm I'm with you that season three is a great season of TV. I think it just took a little bit longer to realize kind of exactly what that season was about. And I do love the parallels to season one, absolutely. And... I mean, Logan pisses on the floor in both of them, right? Because yes. you have the, <laughs> yeah. like the, opening, the opening scene from the first episode is Logan pissing on the floor. And then you have, like, the UTI infection. Yeah. Um, like, at the crucial moment that almost brings down the company as well. Sorry. Sorry, I'm, I'm jumping all over you. Yeah, no, but there are so many great moments, aren't there? But, yeah, I think, I think that's what, what's kind of great about it, particularly having this longer gap between seasons as well. You thought season two was going to be a game changer. Season two was going to shake the very foundations of this show. And then you go, it's the same thing and it's great and it's horrible to watch i think where things change are probably perceptions of characters but it's kind of one of those things like shiv shiv is a really interesting character yeah and in the first season she's 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 almost like the outsider noble democrat though yeah. she's still quite bad but you kind of on Shiv's side. You kind of like Shiv. And actually, Tom is horrible. Tom is just <laughs> the worst. For season one, I hated Tom. But I, I mean, I loved that I hated Tom. Yeah. And it's completely reversed season th- in three. Season two is about Shiv basically going through Kendall's journey. And she does that in season three as well. I'm thinking, well, I can, I can have the power. And it completely corrupts her. But then you really see in season three that... You see, you think, oh, Shiv's Shiv's the good one, yeah. You know, the others are all horrible in their own ways, and you kind of see through Kendall's bravado and yeah, things at the birthday party that are, are utterly cringeworthy. But you absolutely understand where that's coming from. Well, again, and Arrested it, Development. He's recreating his own childhood. Like we, yes. these are people who are in such a bubble, they never have to grow up or change. So yeah, yeah. but Shiv is a one where you thought, okay, well. She's trying and trying and trying. She's trying to do a few good things. In this season, she tries to get a woman on the, on the, on the board. But that's because she wants to get on the board. Yeah. And she keeps get, getting shot down all the time. And you do feel for a bit. And then you realise, yeah, she's actually a really, really horrible person. <laughs> and I think that one of the biggest, if you're about game changers, you start to think, poor Tom. And where did that come from? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That that's the thing. Like and again, even like again, the way in which the show will pull this kind of rug out from under you and lull you into this false sense of security. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with Tom. I think the the show's game with Tom in the third season is absolutely amazing, and it's it's so well written, it's so well structured, and they like they clearly have laid all of the stuff out 
beforehand um like they clearly again like most tv shows they have a good idea where they're going to end but they're seeding it very carefully throughout so things like for example you know obviously the sequence where he goes and tells logan i want to you know i'm happy to jump on this grenade i'm happy to sacrifice myself and you have that moment where logan pats him on the back which gets Mm. obviously replayed at the at the finale as well you have the sequence where like when logan has the uti tom is like taking him to the toilet and there's a moment where logan with his uti confused brain is like son I'm really proud of you. Um, yeah. And like, and like, it's like, oh, Tom is now kind of, he's not just the son-in-law, he's the son. And even the, the little things where like you have this relationship that Shiv and Tom have always had. And like the, I think in the second season finale, it's Logan who sums it up, which is like you married beneath you because you are afraid of being hurt because you wanted somebody who was no physical or intellectual or like, you know, economic threat to you. You settled because you wanted somebody who knew that he wasn't good enough for you. And I mean, here you get that reiterated in like the dirty talk sequence in the penultimate episode. And again, like this is the thing that I, I love about Succession thematically is that it's about it's obviously about power. It's one of the things that power is kind of fascinating, you know, why we are drawn to power and what power does, where power is basically in the world of Succession. It's the thing that allows you to hurt the people beneath you. It's that thing mm. that Caroline says in the penultimate episode of the third season, which is phenomenal when she's talking to Shiv. And she says, you know, why she never had a dog because Logan never had anything that he loved that he wouldn't kick to see whether or not it would come back to him. And one of the things that I really love about Succession is that you watch it. There's like trickle down abuse in it mm. where characters will get abused and then they will leave the room and they will abuse the person lower down them on the food chain, lower than them on the food chain. Tom is a great example of this because Tom is Greg. Greg yes. is Tom's punching bag so that whenever like he gets humiliated by Shiv or Logan or Roman or Kendall, he can just punch down at Greg. But there's moments like I think of the first season when like Logan tells Roman to get the fuck out of his office uh, after embarrassing him. And Logan just like punches Greg in the shoulder as he's leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, or he kind of like walks past an intern and says, what the fuck are you looking at? Um, and you get little moments like that or moments where I think like when they're going to Argus or the, the kind of like the conference that's meant to be Davos in the second season. Yeah. Like you have Logan like bollocking Kendall out of it in the front of the plane. And Kendall goes back into the back of the plane and just bollocks the lawyers out of it because he has yeah. the power to do so. And I think like it's interesting that like on succession and it, it's a thing that you mentioned with the second season finale where pain and love and suffering and hurt and abuse are so horribly intertwined because power is so important to these people and the only way that you prove that you are somebody worthy of respect in the world of succession is that you have the power to hurt other people so it's that moment where kendall tries to kill his dad at the end of the second season as you point out you have that shot of brian cox's face and he seems proud for the first time he seems proud of kendall um it's that moment where like after being emasculated by shiv and after being told like you're not good enough for me how tom responds to that is to you know, do what he threatened to do earlier on with Nero is to kick his wife down the stairs and to marry the eunuch. He, you know, betrays Shiv to Logan and then obviously mm. goes and gets Greg on his team. And it's like, yep, yeah, that is that is kind of how that works. I've, I've emasculated you. I've basically, I've proven that I can hurt you. Therefore, I am worthy of your respect. And in the world of succession, everybody's so broken that they think that's what love looks like. The moment, like, how, how, like, 
how Tom convinces Greg to sell his soul in the yeah. final episode is like, can I get a Greg? Like, can I get somebody <laughs> that I can kick and punch down on? And Tom's response, you can get 20 Gregs. Um, and like, it just, like, again, it's, it's trickle down abuse, which I think is amazing. It's one of the things I love about the show is that little attention to detail that like plays so consistently across the show's seasons mm. and themes and relationships that it's the key, I think, to understanding how, how it works, perhaps. Absolutely. And I can understand why people go, why would you want to watch this? Because there's horrible people being horrible to other generally horrible people. <laughs> and it is a cycle of abuse. And, and you, as, But it's, it's it's just so fascinating the way it's done and the way it's performed. And you get insights like there's the scene between Caroline and Shiv in the parts of episodes. Yeah. You've got everything about their relationship in that scene when Caroline basically said, yeah, I abandoned you at 10 kind of to protect you but also because you know the, the whole thing about the discussion about the dog and so yeah. on and also because really... you chose and it's like yeah i, I was a kid like yeah <laughs> like it, that's the like that's the where every you can you almost you're on caroline's side for a moment because you've seen how horrible shiv can mm. be to tom and you're like you you know that shiv is manipulative and you know that shiv can like push the buttons but also shiv's response is yeah but i was 10 Mm. You can't really blame me for that. And it's yeah. like you see how that becomes ingrained, which is fascinating. Absolutely. I, I, I always find, I always watch I always watch title sequences anyway. I, I, I'm one of these people that people will skip a type of sequence. Like, no, you've got to watch title sequences as part of the show. Yeah. But I always kind of watch every title sequence with those childhood images yeah. dotted in with kind of like a oh sometimes something will happen and you get a new perception of what's happening in those shots that you maybe not have seen last time you saw it in the previous episode as well and it's all about that desperation ultimately to please to please dad and i find it really odd that they planned to essentially off brian cox's character at the end of the first season he was only going to be a one season character and i think this show wouldn't be this show without him. I mean, you would get the return of cycle of abuse and the power play and what's going on between the siblings, and that would still be absolutely fascinating to watch. But Brian Cox is an absolute force of nature on this show. He's utterly terrifying. You see that in that final episode as well. And I think it would be a lesser show if they'd gone with that decision. So I think, thank God, they actually decided to keep him on because he starts succession at his weakest, and he just gets stronger and stronger. Season three, he's never been stronger to the point when he absolutely destroys his children. And it's it's both it's, it's like it's like a car crash. It's right. it's so horrible, but you can't not watch what's happening and just get absorbed in in the drama and the horror of kind of yeah you know, this kind of the, the, it's the abusive relationship between the father and children. Well, I mean, and again, like, I think, like, I understand the urge to have that, to have that kind of, like, idea of the first season character who's killed off, and then you have, like, the consequence of it. Like, the Game of Thrones approach that you have with mm. Sean Bean. And Brian Cox is certainly the most famous member of this cast, so you can see why, like, they would be like, okay, yeah, yeah, we get Brian Cox in for a season and we kill him off. But on the other hand, I think, in the long term, it suits the show thematically, because, you know, again... You could argue one of the big themes of, like, the 21st century has been this argument that 
certain older generations have had difficulty getting their hands off the proverbial wheel and kind mm. of like letting like younger generations kind of step up and and kind of like take their place and kind of have responsibility and assume control so you have this idea that like all you know and again this is probably very heavy and very political for a tv podcast but things like the amount of property that's held by older generations the amount of material wealth mm. that is held by older generations the amount of political power and influence that is held by older generations as you know life expectancy has increased uh, and all that sort of stuff and how difficult how that sense you have of reluctance to surrender or hand over or accept the transition to a younger generation i would argue politically and culturally as well i mean like mm. hell just look at modern pop culture look at movies like ghostbusters afterlife look at movies like the uh, spider-man no way home look at movies like you know space jam look at movies like the the rise of skywalker and you could argue that you can see in them a reluctance like they are all brian cox lando is brian <laughs> cox in the rise of skywalker and poe dameron is kendall where he's like i can do it i can do it and, and then brian cox is like get the fuck out of my way um like i'm just gonna leapfrog you in the millennium falcon um but like i i kind of i think that that then becomes the show's secret weapon Mm. because you have this thing with logan where logan is the way that he is because he grew up like he grew up poor and Mm. he grew up uh in a background and i love that the show has all these hints about what happened in logan's past and they've never been really articulate you have the story of rose which is obviously his deceased sister the implication Mm. that there was abuse at home and the idea that you know he feels in some way responsible for not being able to protect rose that wonderful moment in the first season where he goes swimming and he takes off his um is it like a dressing gown and you see all the scars on his back Mm. and you understand that like the way that logan behaves towards his children is likely because of how his father behaved towards him when he was a child yeah um, and all that sort of stuff and you see that kind of ingrained but you also see on the other hand the idea that like kendall shiv and roman and connor arguably most mm-hmm. of all but connor also least of all because he's like the central to the show connor lives off in his own little dream world he's in a ranch for most of the first (laughs) season he's running for president for the other two he's not really interested in so like i I love that the writers have figured out that alan rook is like a secret weapon Mm. because i think i think the story is that in the first episode his big monologue about like water and how he'd share water with the little girl all came from alan rook because there was nothing in the script for connor and i think i you could argue that you've seen them as the show goes on try and get connor more central it's like in the third season you have connor saying look why can't it be me why can't i also succeed you it's laughable yeah yeah but also that that wonderful moment and i think i think it's they do a similar sequence in the second season finale as well but the bit where he's like i'm the firstborn like like, i'm the oldest and connor's just sitting there going no you're not i'm the oldest um but i I love that you have the idea that all four of these kids have been so coddled and so protected and so insulated and so wrapped in like fiberglass and paper and like little kind of cotton that they don't have the rough edge that their father does. And Mm. so he will never respect them. A, well, A, he will never respect them because he can't confront his own mortality or accept his own mortality in that way. If he if he accepts that he's going to be succeeded, um, it would mean... Like, there's that wonderful moment. The moment in the finale that I love is the moment where the Alexander Sarsgaard, Elon Musk character kind of... Like, he figures out the button on Logan where he's like where he's like okay look you're you're old uh, your your media models old and outdated uh, you need to step aside uh, we're the future and logan kind of bristles at it 
And then he makes the wonderful argument. And it's an argument that Kendall was never smart enough to make, which is the, look, I don't want to make you small. That That's it. Like That's the moment, yeah. I think, where you can see that Logan's like, I can accept these terms. These are not going to humiliate me. These are not going to make me seem weak. They're not going to make me seem old. They're not going to make me you know, seem like I'm already in the grave. And I think that, yeah, one of the reasons why Logan won't accept any of his children succeeding him is because that would mean accepting that he is going to die at some point. And he can't yeah. do that. But I also think that one of the reasons why he will never accept any of his children succeeding him is because the lives that they have lived as a result of his incredible ostentatious Ralph means that they are nowhere near as rough as he is they are nowhere near there was it you're not a killer he says to um uh, somewhat ironically to kendall in the second season yeah. finale but like you he does i think i think he honestly believes that they're not even though he covered up like kendall's involvement in the death of like a waiter i think mm. he believes that they don't have that killer instinct that he does and therefore him giving them anything that he built would be worthless because they're not as tough as he was you know yeah, I think definitely. I think, I think in that final scene of the of the season when he basically goes, "What are you going to do? All these piles of billions of cash? I'm going to put my other piles of cash. You're not going to have it. You're going to make your own money. Yeah. You're going to go out in the world. I'm basically going to break you, destroy you, and send you out in the world with nothing." Is actually almost in his mind a good thing because it's going to get him to toughen up and get some life experience. You know, may, you know, maybe if they came <laughs> back, he'll live to 120 in 10 years, 15 years time. That one of one of them will succeed and come back, having made their own fortune, and then he might consider them. You know, it's like that's the one. It take really to make them a, a worthy successor and yeah they are they're, they're all playing at being logan i think that's 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 yeah. what's really interesting is that yeah they they, they find someone to abuse to put upon to, yeah. that they all find their own greg in some form and because they're playing at being their dad and no one can be their dad and, and yes they, they they haven't had the hardships that he that he had, so every, every, everything is very superficial. I think yeah, you're right you're about Shiv and her political leanings. It's all feels very superficial and glossy. It felt a bit more maybe in the first season. There was a bit more maybe she be more more moved, but as soon as she gets caught in her father's web, that's it. It all goes. Kendall doesn't really have an identity. You see that when he's alone his party and he's there with the gold medallions being really cool and they're always friends and there's, and there's a really horrible scene it took me back to like scenes when I was like a t- in teenager you know I, I go to quite a few part- parties when I was like 16, 17, 18 but there was that weird moment when everyone's talking and you're kind of there by yourself and it was the, it, when he walked out of the room and just was on his phone. It was like, this is his party. And he had no one to talk to. He did the whole thing of, oh, I'm just going to check my phone a second. Because actually to cover up that he has no one to talk to. And he's so utterly lonely. And, and they're all that in a way, you know. That's the moment like from Tom's bachelor party where Tom yeah. turns to Greg and says, I'm having the time of my life. And it's like, who are you trying to convince yes. Tom? You or Greg? Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that it's all playing, and, and same with Tom. Tom is all desperate to try and succeed, and he, it's weird. Tom has kind of found himself in a number of scenarios in season two and season three, particularly where he's in the room with people like Logan, and they're they're making decisions, and they almost ask him his opinion, and it might be superficial, but suddenly he's there. But you know, everything that comes out of his mouth is BS. <laughs> And he, he can't do it. And, and you get the idea. I, I almost don't know why Logan puts up with him in a way. And, and uh, Roman's the same. Roman is 
he's possibly the funniest character, but he's also in some ways the most pathetic character. But and I think that's what made that final scene again so heartbreaking when he tried to stand up to his dad and was broken down. He experienced what Kendall experienced and what Shiver experienced to an extent because it's all about him playing. I, I, I kind of feel in a way that this, if season one was more about Kendall and season two is more about Shiv, season three was a little bit more about Roman yeah. and him trying to find his place and, uh, you know, trying to make those deals and... Uh, succeed you know it succeeds in a way to kind of solidify the the power and the company and make sure it keeps going and uh but every single thing that comes out of his mouth is is it's almost laughable because it's it's he is playing at being dad and he doesn't convince anyone well it helps that like kieran culkin looks like a baby he yes. like, like he, he looks t- he still looks like a teenager even though i know he's in like his 30s or whatever and he's and like and i and like i i know like jeremy Str- all the cast is absolutely amazing and strong's mm. profile from the new yorker i know it generated kind of controversy online but whatever method he's using as long as he's not hurting other people it works very well for yes. him cox is absolutely amazing snook is fantastic uh, mcfaden is also fantastic as well but i think like that moment in the penultimate episode of the season where like roman accidentally sends a dick pic to his dad which sounds hilarious when you say it like that <laughs> but like culkin's reaction to that where like he plays that and it's an entirely silent sequence but it's like watching a balloon deflate in real yeah. time it's staggeringly beautiful to watch him <laughs> check like hear the ping from his father's phone see his father's head move frantically check his own messages and discover what he said and then try to sink into the own cha- into his own chair yeah. and that wonderful shot you get of his father as his father walks out and that intense close-up on roman's head as he just stares into middle distance and yeah. contemplates what he's done and like that sequence like that moment like this is the thing where i think like for i think that like i think kendall is past the point kendall gets past the point of accepting that his father will ever love him quite early in the first season Mm. which is the bit where when it's sorry it is at the sad sack wasp chap it's the first episode i saw it's the fourth episode it's the moment where logan is meant to announce his retirement but doesn't that's the moment where kendall realizes that whatever he does doesn't matter he's never Mm. going to be he's never going to come across like success or succession like by following the rules and by doing what his father tells him and i think shiv as well like shiv has that whole arc in the second season where she gets bounced around a lot and here where she gets bounced around a lot and here where she gets like eviscerated by him Mm. like used as a prop first of all to make the company seem like they're you know in feminist and kind of like moving forward and then you know the stuff where you know he tells her to quit hovering around him after the uti infection and then when he obviously when he uses her as a prop at the like the presidential thing and he he humiliates her by making her take a photo with the candidate that she had mm. described as a Nazi. And she does it. Which which is, like, again, that's the... So it's very clear that, like, Shiv knows that he will never respect her and he will never give her what she wants. I think Roman, on some level, actually believes... And again, it, it's the thing... It's the wonderful thing with Jerry, where I think Roman actually believes that these people might care for him on some fundamental level, despite mm. his his open cynicism. 
uh, despite his kind of like how his defensive measure of kind of, you know, making these terrible jokes about people. I think Roman actually thinks that his father might love him because it's it is Roman who actually says, you know, what do you got? What are you offering me? I, you know, I gave the seat sniffer. He, he got his like leg up. What do you want? What are you coming to me with? And it's like love. And I think it's it's Roman who says love, right? Mm, like it, yeah, and, it is Roman, yes. Yeah, and I think yeah. that, like, that moment after that where, like, he goes and he begs to Jerry. And, like, he's begging to Jerry, not in, like, in public. Like, with Carl and, you know, Frank there as well. And Frank who, like, he hates frank and he he knows that like appearing weak in front of frank is the worst thing that could be could happen to him but he begs jerry because he actually thinks that jerry cares about him yeah Um, and like and it's amazing because you you've had like and again this is the thing with um with succession which i think is very clever because i've read interviews with jesse armstrong where all this stuff lands like a ton of bricks. All this stuff is completely shocking. And a lot of this stuff caught, I will put my hands up and say the finale caught me off guard because I, like a lot of people, expected a death uh, yeah. in the finale. Um, I was kind of expecting Kendall because that New Yorker profile kind of reads like nobody expects to work with uh, Jeremy Strong mm. um, after <laughs> it's published. Um, and I, I say that with a great deal of affection. I don't think like it's sensationalist or anything like that, but you, it's very frank in a way that actors generally aren't frank about one another if they're going to see each other in a couple of months when they shoot the next season. Yeah. Um, I expected that he might die. I expected that Logan might actually die because you had a lot of press for Brian Cox like, well, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm lucky that I'm around for the third season. They wanted me to go after the first season. I'm like, are you hinting at something? Are you kind of yeah. suggesting that you, or it's like, no, I, I think we're, we're nearing the end of this. And it's like, okay, maybe you're going, maybe you're wrapping up. But I was, so I was expecting a death. And then, and again, the whole thing happens in the course of the finale. Like the suggestion of like, is it Matthias? Who's, what's the name of the, the character played by Alexander Sarsgaard? The idea of like, Sarsgaard basically, um, kind of like buying the company whole, all, you know, outright. Yeah. Matson. Uh, Matson. Yeah. yeah Matson. Um, like buying the company all outright only emerges in like the first 15 minutes of the finale. And I know like he's, he's only introduced two episodes earlier at the birthday party. And like, he's suggesting a merger in the penultimate episode, but it's like you're 15 minutes into the finale before he's like, Oh, I might actually just buy the company. And you've watched these things take place over like seasons and arcs and months so what happens in the finale happens very quickly mm. and it works really well because of that but all of it is signposted so like honestly and so effectively by the writing so like that moment where jerry like looks roman dead in the eyes and says how would that advance my position yeah that's that's her repeating what she told him i think in like the second episode of the season where she's like you need to constantly ask yourself how does this advance my position? Or, you know, the bit where, like, Tom betrays Shiv. Like, that reflects the conversation that Tom had with Greg, where he's like, I want to be Nero. And Nero pushed his wife down the stairs. Um, like, the the movie puts its cards on the table, and it doesn't, it doesn't try to wrongfoot you. It doesn't try to trick you, I think, too much. Which I think is to its credit, because it really coheres in a way that is kind of brilliant. Yeah, it's both shocking, but both natural at the same time. And I, I think the, the, the one thing that I heard people kind of online come out, like, oh my God, she was really bad. And it's like, <laughs> yes, she's always been bad. She's just not been as bad as some of the others, maybe at times. It's, it's, it's the Daenerys thing, isn't it, from Game of Thrones? Yeah. And oh, I know, yeah, I, yeah, I know yeah. we were trying to be about it on, on Twitter, you, me, and Tony, weren't we, about it? And um, yeah, it's like, 
I'll divert into Game of Thrones for a second. Yes, it was shocking what happened in that penultimate episode of Game of Thrones, but you could see that happening from the first season. You know, she burned people alive. It's it's, it's just going to happen. She's I'm a conqueror. Gonna... Like she's a, she's a, exactly. Like, it's it, like what do what do conquerors do? They conquer. They arrive. They use their weapons. They invade and they annex. And we know from experience, like the entire point of the arc of the time. Sorry, we're, we're tangent upon a tangent. Yes, <laughs> yeah. but like the whole point of like the the arc where she's in Essos and she's conquering these cities and these cities are not greeting her as a savior they're greeting her as an invader Mm. the whole point of that is to illustrate that like Westeros which has its own political hierarchy its own political system its own actors who are invested in the status quo Mm. is not going to greet a woman who shows up with three dragons as the rightful queen and get down (laughs) on bended knee and accept her as their lord and savior and like I think and I like I do honestly quite like that twist in Game of Thrones. I think it's brilliant mm. because I think it it implicates the audience because the whole yes. point of that twist is that like everybody in Westeros like has agency and has like narrative arcs and we've been following them and we know their agendas and we're rooted in them and we're kind of rooting for them. So we know what they want, we know why they want it and we know what they're fighting for and we care about them because they're main characters. The thing with Daenerys is the plot is structured so that like Daenerys and Jon Snow, who are the most traditional characters, are literally at the edges of the map. So you have, you know, Daenerys is over in Estos and you have Jon Snow up north. And they are fighting not other characters, not like characters we care about, not characters we're invested in. They're fighting abstract forces. So mm. Jon is fighting the White Walkers, which is a standard fantasy menace. It's an army yeah. of zombies. It's ice zombies. So yes. it's a very clear, like, we like Jon. And we can continue to like Jon for the, like, six seasons of the show because unlike anybody down in Westeros, he doesn't have to get his hands dirty with mm. politics. Same thing with Daenerys when she's over in Essos because none of the characters that she faces are actual characters characters they're more abstract concepts to us they're slavers uh, so we all hate slavers and yeah. none of them are actual like characters who have agency or development there's a character who shows up it's like by the way you killed all our parents but we're like we didn't really know anything about your parents except they were slavers so we're fairly okay with her murdering all of your parents yes. and then when she comes to westeros and she does exactly the same thing we're like so much of the audience loses their mind because we're so used to thinking of her as the unambiguous hero fighting the unambiguous mm. villain that as soon as she lands in a world where we're like oh no we we consider these people to also be heroes in this narrative it gets thorny and complicated and i think to give like i i think that's i think that's good and i think the way in which the internet reacted to the revelation that the blonde white woman riding dragons and declaring herself lord of everything um turning out to maybe not be the lord and savior was maybe perhaps an issue with some online literacy yeah. <laughs> darren says very gingerly and very you know however you feel about it you're entitled to feel but my yeah. reading of it is that perhaps there was some of that at play um I think that Succession has been very good at, like, just consistently making it clear that these are bad. Like, even in the first season, like, we don't we don't like Tom. Tom is not a nice guy. Mm. But Tom gets kicked enough in the first season that we're not rooting for Shiv when she's cheating on him. And, no. like, 
like we get the sense that Tom actually does love Shiv. Like he clearly yes, some of it yes. is some of it is like his power striving and all and like wanting to like advance his social position and like how much of the wedding is about impressing his mom and dad. Um mm. and like how much that matters to him. But he seems to like genuinely love her. I, um, think, he I, wor- that- I think he worships her. I think he adores her. He worships her. I mean, yes, it advances him kind of in terms of the company and how he succeeds. But the fact that he's actually spoke about it as a potential success, I know it's kind of done in jest, but you know, there's a reason because he gets in that position. And but, but it happens like having her kick him so much in the first season makes yeah. us feel like she's not a good like we get a yeah. sense even when she's even when she's like arguing for abortion rights and like mm. voting for the right side, we still get a sense that she's maybe not that nice a person yeah. even yeah. before she gets drawn in, I think, which is good. And it's the upbringing as well. You see that more yeah. I think that really comments in that scene with the mum in the third season. You know, you understand why she's as broken as he is. And you you have a you have a degree of sympathy for her, as you do for all the siblings. You say the same for Kendall, say even for Connor, really. You kind of understand where they've come from and the kind of the abusive and the pattern, you know, the, the power struggles, everything that's happened. It, it's almost, of course, they're going to be like this way. You know, and, and really go back as well. You can see it with Logan as well. You talk about the scars and so on. You, you, there are hints actually, and even Caroline. Like, like I mean, Caroline yeah. is awful, and she, like, she's she's a minor character. But yeah, like, I love you understand, <laughs> Yeah, but you understand that being married to Logan was probably exhausting. Yes. Um. Like you, like no idea, like how. Um. What's the What's the the latest uh, The latest wife uh, Logan's latest wife The one who oh, kind of Marcia. Marcia, yeah, yeah. Like, that sequence where I thought, "Who are you? What are you, Marcia?" Aside from a machine for accumulating power, um, which I think is like that is that a line from Shiv at one point? Mm. But you you get a sense of how hard it must be just to be married yeah. to Logan, and like the sense in which Marcia has to be. Like, Marsha has to be almost a business partner mm. uh, in the way that she behaves towards him. Yeah. Where she has to, like, she has to accept the infidelity, infidelity, mm. but she also has to establish the boundaries of said, uh, you know, infidelity. And she also has to secure not only her position, but the position of her children from her earlier relationships as mm. well. And to get, like, that as a surety. Well, again, because everything in here, because love doesn't exist in this world how you do how you measure this is by security and how you measure security is by like actual concrete assets um and so like you you understand looking at like marcia and looking at logan you understand why caroline is frankly as terrible as she is yes. and how and how her being as terrible as she is probably contributed to how terrible her children are on top of logan being as terrible as he is as well like it's it's all such a like a weird viper's nest vicious circle mm. thing which is amazing how it allows the show kind of the best of both worlds where you what's the, what's that line there's that wonderful line from um paul schrader when he's talking about like writing um he's talking about writing taxi driver and he's like you you need to you need the character of travis beekle to be and i can't remember the terms and i'm sorry about this but it's something like understandable but inexcusable 
um, mm. which is basically where this lands, or the thing where that line from like Red Dragon, which is probably a bit of an extreme example to pick, where Will, <laughs> where Will Graham's like, yeah, as a you know, as a child, my heart bleeds for him, but as an adult, he's irredeemable, and like I feel that way about most of these, like even mm. Greg. Yes, like, and, and and Greg is the character I find interesting because I see a lot. Greg's the character I think a lot of people online kind of root for, and I love that. Like as the show's gone on, it's become as clear that Greg is just as craven as everybody else. He's suing Greenpeace. He's yes, getting like cheered at, the, <laughs> cheered at the conservative action conference. He's like trying to climb the dating ladder. Um, yeah. Like, as soon as power presents itself to Greg, like, and, and again, he kicks back. Like you, you can see, he takes so much shit from Roman for the first couple of seasons. Things like the, the you know, a Tom Sunday with Greg Sprinkles, I think, in the second mm. season finale. And then you have, you know, the sequence in the third season where it's like, it's what we call kind of a, 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 a I don't know how you'd say it, a, a sex pervert. That's what he is. Yes. Um, and you, you can see that it's like, he enjoys that he feels so mm. secure now that he can punch back at Roman. Yeah. And that kind of matters to him as well. Like, I, I like that even Greg is so, ir- and even Greg's grandpa who initially presents himself like uh, like Shiv as somebody yes. who's like, this this family's toxic and horrible and Logan, you've you've poisoned the well of public discourse. I think it's actually a line that he uses mm. and he quotes all this philosophy and he's very high-minded. But every chance that he gets to make a difference or to affect the world, he declines to do. So yeah. he declines to vote against Logan um, at the shareholders meeting. He turns up to vote for Logan specifically at the shareholders mm. meeting. And in the third season, when Kendall makes his public statement, you have that statement from like Greg's grandpa where he's like, ah, I didn't like it. I um, I don't like airing family business in public. And it's like, you're everything that you have said you should be cheering from the rafters about mm. this because this is this is your chance to strike a blow against American capitalism and the beast and the monster that your brother has created. But actually, you're you fought into this in your own way as well. You just want to feel good about it. You just exactly. want to feel like you're not a part of it. While as like and you and then through that you understand why Logan hates him so much because Logan's like. I pay for him to live up in Canada. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, all he does is complain about how awful I am. And you're like, he does. And he doesn't back it up. He's happy to just, like, pretend that he's a good person in some ways. He's like Connor. He's very much, he's very yeah. much like Connor in a way, actually. You know, he complains, you know, I, I'm not going to be part of this toxic family. I'm going to do myself. I'm going to be better. But I'll have all your money at the same time. And it's like, you know, they're quite happy to take that money. And, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, James Cromwell is, you know, another great actor and, you know, has that sense of gravitas to the character yeah. of, of the granddad. But, yeah, he, he's in it for himself. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, talk of Greg. Greg suing Greenpeace is just genius. <laughs> it's a great plot. It's such a great plot. <laughs> what are you going to do next? Friends of the Earth? Or um, and then, and then they're dated. The, the, um, the, the assistant... Kendall's assistant, uh, oh, media, yeah. and and then they contest the contest or whatever. Comfy, isn't it? Yeah, and then that's like... it. Oh, there was a wonderful line. He said, "Don't let um, don't let Roman uh, marry her. He'll probably invade France." <laughs> that's yeah. a great, that's a great but so, like that, so so many great lines. That wonderful camera movement, and again, like we'll talk in a minute in a second about how wonderfully direct. Like the show is wonderfully well written. Everything is yeah. like posted. Um, but that wonderful camera movement where they contest it, like leans into Greg and she says, "Oh, the weddings, they're so sweet." And he's like, "Yeah, they really make me move." And the camera moves over to Comfy sitting on the other side yes. of Greg, and she's going, "God, this is so cynical." So it's like, yeah, it's awful. Um, <laughs> it's just, I, I love like even Greg, Greg the Egg. Who's like yeah. presented as this outsider, like 
you know, this initially what in a worse show would be the audience identification mm. character, like has been so warped through yeah. um, through exposure that he's just been kind of he's become as corrupted and as tainted and as awful as any of these people. Yeah, he, he very much is, is a proto Tom in a way, isn't he? Because yeah. you know he's a character you kind of thought, oh Greg's gonna come in actually he's gonna overthrow him. You, you always imagine that when you watch the first episode when he came in. The finale is Greg's going to be on top, and he quite possibly will be. But um, but you, now he's starting to get there. You're going, oh, but that's not right. But yeah, of course he is. How are you going to get there? And and Tom's the same. And yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a few times the Tom's betrayal of Shiv at the end, and and I, I've only watched it once, and I, I was so much going on, I almost didn't pick up. I don't think it certainly hinted that Tom had betrayed Shiv, but I was never quite sure he was actually explicitly stated that he did betray her, or we were just hinted at. It doesn't really matter either way. I think well, it's she, much... she clearly believes that he does because she yes, yeah. when like it's that. That wonderful moment where he touches her and she flinches, mm. um, and like, and it's very much a moment of it's it's that Godfather two thing. I know it was you kind of moment where I think mm. Tom not only knows because like the door is open and Tom can see the kids in there, yeah, and like so Tom is aware when Logan pats him on the back that they see and understand mm. why he's getting the pat on the back because it's yeah. it's so it's so like and again the and again. Like and it happens. It's the the show is so well structured. Like it happens repeatedly. Like the thing with um, the thing with the the siblings going to visit uh Kendall. Like when they go and visit Kendall, I think mm. in the second episode of the third season, mm. and Logan sends the box of donuts to them because he knows that's where they are, and you watch that, and all the siblings are calling like everybody else. So Shiv is talking to Tom about like how she feels about it. And Roman is talking to Jerry about how he feels about it. And like, of course that gets back to Logan Mm. because these characters are incapable of maintaining a closed circuit on each other. Um, And like, even things like you have like moments where like the, the moment in like the, again, the picking the president episode where like, Kendall makes that desperate, like flailing for air, needs something pitch to Tom where he's like, come over to my side, Tom, we can do this. You know, like, you know how desperate Kendall is because he's trying to recruit Tom. Mm. But that moment where Tom explains to him why he's not going to betray Logan, which is, I have watched you get fucked repeatedly. Like, I have seen you get fucked many times. I have not seen Logan get fucked once. (laughs) And like, and like that again is a moment where it's like, when Shiv gets on the phone to him in the finale, it's like, yeah, I need you ready to run this on the news network um, as soon as we drop this. And it's and he's like, you know, so what's in it for me? What am I going to be? It's like, oh, you'll be, you'll be high up. Don't worry about it. We won't forget mm. about that. But the, the inevitability of that betrayal, which is just so, so good. Like, the, all this stuff feels... Like, it, it is a surprise when you're watching it, but then when you think about it, it's like, no, that makes perfect sense. And apparently... They shot several different versions of that ending sequence. Uh, so there was a version where a Shiv didn't see uh, Tom and Logan in the hallway, where right. it was just, I think, Kendall who saw it. Um, and then obviously Tom would come in and he'd comfort her and she'd accept it. Uh, but they opted to go with the one where she saw him and she flinches as well. Mm. And I think like there's some speculation online that Shiv might be pregnant as well. 
because the the Nero story, when Nero kicked his wife down the stairs, she was pregnant. Right. There's this recurring subplot about whether or not they are going to get pregnant, for mm. example. There's the fact that we, like, I and I love how much attention the show pays to characters not having sex, which we'll come back <laughs> to. But, like, the show makes a big deal of how Tom and kind of Shiv aren't really having sex, except they do have sex a couple of nights before or, you know, at the kind of, like, reception for, or the kind of pre-kind of Caroline's wedding event. Mm. Uh, which would mean that maybe Shiv was pregnant by the time he got here. And the fact that when she gives a toast at Caroline's wedding, I know I'm going very deep on the succession Reddit here, but when, <laughs> she, when she gives the toast at Caroline's wedding, she's drinking water rather than wine. So there's been some speculation that like she might actually be pregnant with Tom's child, which would add a whole other dynamic oh, could to you, all that, this. That, that, that poor child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a situation to end up kind of like in involved in. Yeah, I mean, I see. It, it certainly does take you by surprise. Let's talk about that finale. I thought, I think what one of the reasons it's so shocking is because it kind of repositions Shiv, Kendall, and Roman yeah. as they they bond and they become the heroes. It's, I, I I I love that scene where they're out in the kind of back by the bins on the back there uh, and, and, and he breaks down and like so roman's kind of like massaging his shoulders yeah and shiv is on the phone barely paying attention to him rubbing his head like she, he's a baby yeah, he just said you know i killed a man and i'm broken by this and she kind of pats him on the shoulder while facing <laughs> away it's like but at the same time there's this closeness between them you've never really seen even that you know you had it a little bit earlier in the scene where i mean again maybe maybe you know i, I kind of let so so many things going on I know the the previous episode hinted at possibly that he might drown in the port yeah. in the previous episode. I never really believed that would be it. It, it would it would go then, but obviously the episode plays out. They had the intervention where where Connor goes, but I'm the oldest. Hold on, you know I, I'm here too. I, I I'm relevant, but it. It's you all... said we'd be able to say our things. You need to stop killing, trying to kill Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh great, Adam, so good. But you know there, there was there was a hint. There was a hint there that they care, yeah. but it's it's like. But deep down, you always know they do care about each other a bit, but you don't really see that bond until that scene when they break down. And the fact that it's Roman who essentially comforts Kendall, yeah. and, you know, the massage thing, and, and he's there, and he makes jokes, and he tries to turn it into a joke, you know, well, you know, tries to replay what would have happened if he had been there instead, and, you know, had a bad drink and so on. It would be, it would be, it kind of, he makes light of it, but he does it to comfort Kendall. And, for the first time, that there's excitement in that car when they're planning this, and, and she was on the phone to Tom and that. There's a genuine excitement because they're bonded, they're close, they're together, and together, it, and that it's almost like that's what it needs to take to take down Logan. It's the three of them together. If they're bonded together, they can't be destroyed, and then they get destroyed. And it's like so you think for the moment this is the triumph in a way that the season two ended with that almost triumphant moment for Kendall finally stepping back and out of his father's shadow. It's like, actually, that was the moment. This is the moment. And no, this is not the moment either. This is the moment when they get completely destroyed. So it, it it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal 20 minutes, that fight, the final, yeah. final part of the episode. And, you know, jaws hanging open the whole time. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, who's going to die? Who's going to win? Who's going to succeed? And even though it's a Daenerys thing, you know, you know the fact that Logan destroys them, the fact that Tom betrays Shiv... Uh, the biggest surprise, in a way, was actually that Bowman didn't break, actually. Yeah, 
that that, 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 was that, that surprised yeah. me was that yeah. like Roman did because that's Roman has broken at every opportunity like it's mm. the first season like again it, like Roman I think honestly believes that they are a family like I think Roman deep yeah. down believes that they are a family so like you know in the first season Roman goes along with like you know Kendall during the attempted coup until Logan bullies him you better be scratching your fucking eel or ear Romulus mm. you know that moment mm. um, that sort of stuff where Roman kind of tries to convince the uh, is it what's a Volter tries to convince mm. like the Volter founder to go along and stuff like that and like you know I think Roman actually does believe that they are a family unit and again even I think in the and again it, it's one of those small touches like again so much of the show is so like layers within layers within layers kind of like you know as above so below things reverberating down but like when they go to Kendall's apartment I think in the second episode to talk about like plotting against dad mm. it's very notable that like for all that like Roman's like oh I'm just spying on you for dad I'm not here to actually listen to any of your crap he he brings Kendall a pastry from the airport uh which <laughs> like which which is a surprisingly like thoughtful gesture mm. from somebody like Ronan Roman and also kind of mirrors like the donuts at the climax which are these donuts that arrive in a box uh from Logan as a very veiled or non too veiled threat was it I'm like 98% certain he didn't send poison donuts to the home <laughs> of his grandkids but like you have this idea like again I think Roman actually believes that like him bringing a pastry to his brother is a good gesture mm. and the idea that you have in contrast to that logan sending pastries to his kids as a threatening gesture which is so so good as well or things like the the bagel that kills the rabbit that kills kendall's rabbit in the episode mm. where like they accidentally kill the raisin um who is like the president where they get the the raisin to refuse to run again which again is another bit of kind of layered imagery and stuff like that but i think that roman does actually like Roman believes that they're a team because like he mm. he's the he's the one who's like in the car he's like look we don't we don't actually make a bad team and the bit where they're about to confront their father and he talks about I think is a water pistols pistols in Bali mm. where like where Shiv and where Kendall convinced Roman to like they were all going to shoot their father with a water pistol and Roman went in alone and presumably got horribly beaten uh, for one can only guess based on like past experience like there's there's a moment I think in the again in the Davos episode where Logan strikes Roman like he actually yes. physically hits him and you can tell that it's not the first time that it's happened from the way that the siblings react to it from the way that like i think kendall puts himself between logan and roman mm. i think roman minimizes it and says a barely made contact and like the sequence i think in the following episode in the car where like logan's talking about it, it's like oh just about what happened I, di I didn't see you there and i was like no no of course you didn't that's no, fine it's not a big deal i think roman does genuinely believe that they're a family in a way that kendall and Shiv don't. And I think that really worked for me. And and things like, as you said, him trying in his own weird, dysfunctional way to make Kendall feel better, better about yeah. having killed somebody, which is like, and again, it's one of those things that is so amoral and so terrible. Like, this is a terrible way to talk about this. But it's yeah. also as close as these characters get to expressing love for one another that yeah. I'm, I'm moved by it. And I, like, I, I find, like, that, portrayal fascinating and i think again the moment that re i really loved is so much of this is like laid out the, so much of the show is playing its cards like in front of you without you even realizing it 
the fact that the kids are always watching the wrong thing. They don't have their eye on the ball. Again, lacking Logan's killer instinct. Mm. You have, like, so much of the final two episodes is Roman running around at his mother's wedding, worried about the prenup that she is signing to when she's marrying Peter Munyon. He wants to make sure that the prenup for the new wedding that they're going into that that is watertight and that she and he know exactly what the terms of those are and what ultimately screws the kids over isn't the prenup with peter munion it's the reopening of the divorce agreement Mm. with logan which was explicitly mentioned in the previous episode like it's all of the stuff that logan uses to outmaneuver the kids is brought up in front of them in the previous episode and if they had been paying attention to anything outside of their own little bubbles they might have put two and two together and figured out that you know they reopened he wants the flat he wants that social position and advancement and he wants it from logan and so therefore if we need mom's supermajority, which she got in the divorce Mm. the divorce which is currently being renegotiated we should probably make sure that we have her on side before we jump in there. Yeah. And I, I love that they get so outmaneuvered, but they get so outmaneuvered by the show playing entirely fairly. It's a very, it's an incredible bit of like writer writing, but mm. I was going to say writerly work where the, the show has everything that you need to understand what's happening in front of you, but is moving the cards of the shells so fast that you, you're not paying attention to what mm. you should be paying attention to, and therefore it lands like a right hook. I, I It's masterful. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the moments you find something to relate to and you find their bond, you want to relate to it and you, you encourage it and you want to go along, and you, but then you forget what show you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> And it's almost it's like not going to have a happy end. No, it's, no, it's not. Is it? The fact that the mum betrays him, that's horrible as well. And yet, but it's done in a very, oh, it'd be fine, dismissive way because she doesn't care. It's like, <laughs> she, she doesn't do it to be cruel. She doesn't, she does it because she doesn't really care enough to try and understand what they're trying to do. It's, it's, just, it's, it's an inconvenience to her. So her, her betrayal is almost one of neglect, whereas his one is one of, I mean, neglect is abuse, but, you know, he's more overt and, and she's kind of the other, the other way. But, I mean, they, they get betrayed by both parents. I mean, Shiv gets betrayed by her husband and both parents in the space of, like, a minute. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. And, uh, what's, that, what's that Shiv line? We just walked in on mum and dad fucking us. Um, yes. <laughs> but, like, and I mean, and we should pause here and acknowledge, like, and, and I'm entirely in this boat, so I, and I find this is amazing. Like, whatever happens here... Shiv, Kendall, and Roman are never going to have to work an honest day's, like, work in their life. They're never mm. going to have to do an honest day's work. They're going to get settled out. They're going to get, like, worst case scenario, they end up kind of, like, living lives of absolute luxury into their 60s. And, yes. you know, selling their, like, lifestyle kind of stories or whatever. And just kind of, like, retiring into anonymity. Living lives of luxury that you and I and our, most of our listeners will never know. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to prejudge the demographics from which our listeners are coming. But I will dare to say that, like, maybe one percent of our listeners will you know actually know and 99 percent will not but <laughs> yeah. like i love that the show gets you so caught up in this that it's like we we, we are betrayed like i do feel betrayed by mm. what happens to kendall and roman and shiv even though i know intellectually that like they're going to be fine like they're going to be fine like economically yeah they're be fine socially and like 
I'm just like the betrayal is so personal and so intimate that I'm emotionally invested in it because it's such a again it's it's fathers and sons fathers and daughters mothers mm. and daughters it's it's this sort of, like it's again it's this primal kind of Greek thing going on there you know it's very much so yeah and I love that the show is able to get you as like I know we keep going back to it but that it gets you to invest in and like be emotionally open to and empathetic towards characters who by all accounts you should be rooting to see them disembowel each other like <laughs> this should be Titus yeah. Andronicus like everybody should be dying horrible deaths and we should be cheering but yes. you, you kind of like when Kendall breaks down you feel sorry for him mm. against all odds like when Roman breaks down like knowing that he's he's like the worst person you're like I feel terrible for him. We talked about how much Shiv is the worst person, but when she pulls away from Tom, you're like, Jesus, that that's heartbreaking. I, I love that ability to... It, it's something that I think a lot of the great TV dramas have. Is It's like The Sopranos with Tony Soprano, where you, like, you accept that this man is like toxic to everything that he touches, but you're also like, I am so drawn in and mm. so invested in and so fascinated by and the performance is so compelling that i i can't help but feel for this man in some way and that makes me deeply uncomfortable <laughs> it's very very much so yeah there, there aren't any heroes in the story they're the characters you root for based on the situation and i mean yes yeah, it's down to the performances as well yeah jeremy's strong sarah snook and uh and um kieran Culkin. Kieran Coughlin, yeah, yeah, you know, they are they they're so good, you know, they're, they're, every everyone is great in 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 this, and uh, you know, it's one of those shows where there isn't an issue with a performance that they're almost faultless to a T in a way, you know, some characters are stronger than others, but when Harriet Walter turns up yeah. as the mum, she's fantastic, and. Uh, even the guest stars, like yes. Stephen Root, like playing the mm. head of like the Republican National Convention, you yeah. imagine, or like the bit where Adrian Brody pops up for an episode. Yeah, it's for an episode, um, yeah, it's and, great. It, and he's just gone. Like it's, it's like he's yeah. not a big recurring character. It's just like here's Adrian Brody. He's an investor. He's going to give Logan a heart attack. Um, and it's like that's it. That's his one role this season. But it's it's great, and yeah, I mean, the performances make it. Really. I mean, the the writing makes it, and the performances make it. You know, if, if these characters weren't so good and weren't so nuanced as well, and there wasn't so much depth to these characters and to the background, the stories and the motivations, you know, I've heard it described as Shakespearean at times, and it really is. It really, really is. You know, the the journeys these characters go through. Poor, you know, say <laughs> poor Kendall, poor Kendall's <laughs> journey. I say, why am I saying poor Kendall? It's like it's you know, he's you know. There's moments in this in the early on when you go when he's going to go down the the the, the kind of the route of light is going to be triumph you know good values and stuff and that and then the moment he gets there he just screws it up you know you see that the, the lawyer in his earlier scenes and you could just see her frustration build and build and build because he's a horrible person who is in this for himself and he's not trying to do what he's trying to suggest he's going to do but I still go poor poor Kendall. <laughs> Well, I mean, but and also, and again, this is the thing where even though this is a show that is, you know, it's very arch, it's very wry, it's very grounded. I mean, we might talk about the direction in a moment as well. But like, even though this is a show that is like very, like, literal in some senses, like it, it's, a, it's a show that like it plays with its metaphorical imagery mm. very, very heavily. We mentioned like how important pastries are a second ago, but it's very notable that like the big sin, like underneath Waystar uh, Royco is the cruise line. 
it's mm. it's the, the like the floating on water it's the ships on water and like again the recurring kind of metaphor you have of the bodies being thrown o- overboard and all this sort of stuff but like kendall is blaming the company for that and trying to argue that his father should be deposed because of his like abstract involvement in that in that like you know and again you could argue about how much he did or didn't know about it. Um, at the very least, he chose not to know. I think, like, at one point he argues to Shiv that, oh, I don't read my emails. You know, I have other people to do that for me. And, like, from the, what we know in the first season, that sequence where Jerry talks to Tom about the importance of being a sin eater, for example. Um, or that moment where, like, Bill talks about, like, the death pit. I might not like it in the death pit, says Tom. <laughs> or says Greg. Greg, it's like, Greg, I, I might not like it in the death pit. Um, but the bit where, like, Bill's like, oh, look, look you can... Um, you can choose uh, not to know, uh, in which case everything's fine and everything's always been fine and it will continue to be fine. Uh, or you can choose to uh, know and that way then you'll be prepared. And it's like this thing where even at the best of cases, even the best of cases, it's a sin of omission and it's mm-hmm. a sin of willfully looking away. But it is, it's an, it's still an abstract sin. Like even if Kendall's most extreme argument is correct, Like, Logan wasn't tossing the bodies over the sides of these cruise liners. And while Kendall is making that argument, Kendall knows that he was in a car where a kid drowned. And again, that water imagery, it's very, Mm. like, it's very point, it's very specific that, like, it's the cruise line that he's blaming the company for, the bodies thrown overboard, whereas he himself very literally was with a body in water drowning and suffocating Mm. and ran away from it and chose to hide from it. And so you have this kind of like, again, this thing where Kendall very self-righteously is talking about how, you know, his father is a toxic influence on the American discourse and how he's destroying civilization. And Kendall himself won't ever even consider the possibility of taking responsibility for what he did to that Mm. boy and like and to be fair like it's very clear that he does feel bad about it um however like you want to quantify that the terrible sequence in the second season where he just pushes notes of money through the family's door Mm. which is like it's so vulgar and it's so awful and it's so horrible but you feel sorry for both obviously the family of the kid but you feel strangely sorry for kendall because this is the only way he knows how to try and process this um and like things like the bit in the like in this season where like that that shot you mentioned from the penultimate episode, the closing shot where he sticks his head underwater after Logan's talking. How long was that boy sucking in you know, underground before he started sucking in water? And you have Kendall holding his head underwater to try and feel that. Mm. But you also have like he's also clearly not going to face responsibility for it because he's like, well, look, pay attention to those podcasters who are digging into the death of the waiter. It's like, I want to know if they get close to anything that might actually hurt me. So you have this this thing with Kendall where, like, he... Again, it's that, that kind of thing where, you know, you can understand and, like, want to root for him to call out all this terrible corporate malfeasance, but also his inability to acknowledge his own like privilege or malfeasance or his own awfulness and complicity in it and like complicity that isn't like abstract or systemic complicity that is very literal he was in the seat of the car next to Mm. somebody who drowned i i think that's like that's a fascinating dissonance in the show and Mm. i think like it's so well constructed that you have the cruise lines and the drowning 
and those are the two sins and they're both water related um again so so good the imagery is so good the metaphors are so effective and the parallels are so effective uh, yeah. i think it's great yeah absolute masterclass in writing yeah so before we kind of wrap up then any kind of other, other final things you want to draw upon from season three uh, just want to note the direction because I think I kind of alluded mm. to that. Um, I think the direction on the show is absolutely fantastic. I think one of the things I love about Succession is that the it's a rare show that manages to make ostentatious wealth actually look disgusting <laughs> and actually, but like th- that's the thing is that like one of those big things that you have with projects like this is the argument that it will always glorify like wealth and uh, you know kind of like excess and all this sort of stuff. It's the stuff that you saw with like Scorsese's, well, with every gangster film ever, but with Scorsese's work in particular with Goodfellas. Mm. Uh, with Casino, most obviously with Wolf of Wall Street, where whenever you portray terrible characters being rich, there's a tendency to make being rich look awesome. And like, I kind of get that because the like that's why people want to be rich because being rich does allow you to do terrible stuff with no <laughs> consequences whatsoever. And having and that is kind of like that is appealing to a certain person. Um, but I also think that like what I admire about Succession is that it makes wealth look kind of sad and mm. depressing and very much like a trap because it's yes. like cause he, like because kendall talks to his father i think again in the penultimate episode and says look i just want to get out and you know it's, it's for logan's like maybe i want to keep you close like there's no escape for the family because they like there's the wonderful moment in safe room in the second season like again the individual episodes of these are so well structured like succession does such good episodes where episodes are about particular things and like a lot of modern shows they'll just blur together and you talk about seasons but with succession like individual episodes have their recurring motifs and themes and images so like things like uh safe room from the the second season Mm. which is just one of those perfect episodes of television because everything's built around a core thematic idea and the core thematic idea is that like this incredible wealth ultimately traps people so you end up with like there's a there's a gunshot in the building and they assume it's a terrorist attack and so everybody ends up trapped in the like skyscraper in this like ostentatious trapping of wealth and they end up stuck together and there's no escape from it and it turns out that the gunshot was actually a suicide Mm. by an anchor or by a by a reporter who felt trapped in their job and you have the the episode opens with Kendall walking up to the edge of the skyscraper and considering, like, jumping off and ending his own life and committing suicide. Mm. And at the close of the episode, you have a beautiful juxtaposition of a shot where, because of the gunshot panic, they've installed bulletproof glass. So he literally cannot throw himself off the building anymore, even if he chose to do so, uh, which is is amazing. But the direction generally makes wealth seem sad and lonely. Yeah. Like, I, I, the, the, loneliness is the key. Is the key. Yeah term there i think they are trapped but they're all incredibly lonely incredibly isolated and yeah there, there is no warmth there there's no there's no joy in any of this yeah. you know it's not it's, something you know it's not a life that appeals as much as they, it looks like it was all the good food and the clothes and the cars and the houses look wonderful and all their the the boats and the trips and the restaurants they look, they look lovely but it looks very cold and isolated well, what's amazing is, and again, like, it's it's how much money is on screen. Like, this probably costs as much as Game of Thrones because they fly the cast all around Europe. Yeah. But how much of the show, like, is spent 
in transit like how Mm. much of like they're in these beautiful places they're on the riviera they're in italy but they're always like they're on boats or they're in planes or they're in Mm. cars they're always moving they're never actually settling or staying or enjoying and like so much of it is like boardrooms or like in the first season hospitals Mm. and it's often big empty corridors like the loneliness is accentuated by the choice to often shoot these spaces that are large and cavernous and just have the cameras kind of push in on them and emphasize how small and isolated Mm. they are like i would argue succession is one of the best directed shows on television and like this Mm. season had episodes directed by lorraine scafaria who directed hustlers uh by kathy yan who directed like birds of prey and and mark mylod's work he directed four of the nine episodes he did the first two and the last two Uh, and i think he's done the season finales of of, like the seasons coming up to this like it it really it's very very well directed it's it's like it's one of those shows that that argument that I think is a Truffaut made that you can't make an anti-war movie because any depiction of warfare is going to glorify the act of warfare and depicting something is the same as glorifying it. And I think that's arguably true of like capitalism and wealth and excess where, you know, when you show people like who have that much money, it it will always be kind of attractive in a certain sense. But I think Succession finds a way to make it seem tasteless and mm. sad and weird and like unpleasant and like alien and kind of sickly and not something that you would ever want to like even things like the the amount of glass in the in the show where characters are often like boxed in and trapped in offices and staring at their own reflection and like seem like they are as you point out in cages Mm. it's just it's a show that looks so good and its visual language is so firmly tied to its themes and what it's saying like it's just it's an incredibly well directed piece of television and i think you know we don't often talk about tv direction so i think that was worth kind of singling out if we're talking about the show fab sorry yeah no I, I, that's great and I, I i completely agree I, I we could probably spend another two hours talking about this but i think our <laughs> listeners are probably getting quite well we've had, we had plenty there and uh yeah, so excessive success. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah, so I think I think we'll kind of uh, bring it to a close there. But yeah, I mean, what a season and and what a show, and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk about it. Thank you, thank you for having me. Brilliant. So, if you want to talk succession or TV in general, where can we find you online? Uh, yes, I am available on uh, Twitter at Darren underscore Mooney. So you can come yell at me about my crazy, stupid opinions about absolutely <laughs> anything anywhere. And I will I will try to engage. Aside that, I am I write at The Escapist, which is an American website about pop culture. I do columns there on Mondays and Fridays. I do movie reviews. I occasionally do extra articles there as well. And I mean, I as you mentioned at the start of the hour, I do a podcast with my good friend Andrew Quinn called The 250, where we look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, one movie at a time, uh, one week at a time. Do we know roughly when this is coming out? possibly next week or certainly by end of the end of end of december end of december okay so our lineup in terms of december is that well we typically do star wars we do we do so we're doing the last jedi we did the last jedi recently you can listen to that episode oh, um we also do uh we're starting doing lord of the rings to mark the 20th anniversary of the fellowship of the ring so we had a discussion of the fellowship of the ring uh with deirdre malumby from entertainment.ie the wonderful andy mellowish the fantastic grace duffy to mark christmas itself we will be discussing uh some like it hot which i would argue is kind of a christmas movie in that it's always on at christmas uh with the wonderful um charlene Lydon and the fantastic McGregor and because it made the 250 because it was apparently the 20th best 20th best movie of all time we will be discussing Spider-Man No Way Home as a special bonus episode um, that we're quite looking forward to I haven't recorded yet I don't know if it will beat this to the punch but yeah that will be kind of on the cards uh, in terms of podcast coverage for the next little while 
Fab, looking forward to that. Jeff, just seen Spider-Man today, so uh, lots of thoughts on that one. <laughs> Brilliant. So, um, yeah, thanks for joining us. And uh, you can find me on various We Made This podcasts, including Authorised Podcasts Only and Alias Podcasts, and the TARDIS Crew, a Doctor podcast. I do my son, Ben, which, Dan, we're hoping to get you on as a guest fairly soon, too. I would absolutely love to. Brilliant. And uh, thanks for joining us for another episode. And remember, we are part of the We Made This podcast network. Please subscribe to schedule programming and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to help out our network, please consider supporting us on Patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash we made this. Succession is all we're discussing, so we'll give you a taste of what else you might have missed on the network in a moment. We'll be back soon to schedule more programming, so until then, do not adjust your set. Elsewhere. And we made this. We are Starfleet, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. So be a bit of a drawback as well when you're confronting other people. You know, for instance, later on when when all our conversations with the president are very confrontational right. from both sides, and it, it becomes a very it becomes a, a huge verbal tug of war at times. And but it makes for great television. Um, and it also makes for really good scenes for Michael Burnham. I like her being challenged. I like her uh, having to question herself because it, it makes her a much more better character, I think. Yeah, and Michael seems to be the kind of person, like, once she makes a decision, she's not going to question that again. She's not going to mm. second-guess herself. She's. Um, I mean, she even says um, in season three, I would rather regret something I did than something I didn't. Free with this month's issue. They did this weird thing at Reading Festival one year where they got a guy and a girl up on stage with them from opposite ends of the barrier at the front yeah. and got them to make out for an entire song. And these people didn't know each other because the girl was quite near me and she definitely had a boyfriend. Oh. But they went for it. Even at the time, I thought, this is strange. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. What's that about? You know, like, that's an odd thing to ask two strangers to do. <laughs> mm. Probably there was a lot of pressure. Movieversaries. Because the trailer is full of very odd camera angles or like odd close-ups like mm-hmm. too close kind of like almost like a fisheye lens mm-hmm. kind of look, look at one point there's a whole bunch of different things that are completely bizarre for sure and um yeah a lot of the cinematography it seems like he uses lots of wide wide angle lenses mm. and that generally you know if you use like a wide angle lens for like a close-up it gives you a sense of unease and you see that throughout so many wide-angle shots, and it's just like, it just makes you feel a bit weird. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network. <laughs>